Welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast. Hello. Okay, Hello. What's you, man? Oh, you know, same old, same old, man. Yeah, living the dream, aren't you? Always. <laughs> Always. I like that. Me too, man. I am also living the dream. Uh, it's very hot, though. It's like 90 degrees right now, man. It's almost 10 o'clock. Oh, no, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I... I feel like that's that's a pretty uh, solid LA summer thing, but we've we've been a little unseasonably cool recently, so you know I, I'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. We uh we have a lot to talk about, Travis. Way too much Indeed. to talk about. Yes, it, it's uh, it's busy week, um, but you know lots of content for everybody. So that's true. Strap in. Strap in, Buttercup. We will be talking about this week's book, which is God Killer's War on Terror, number three. We'll be talking about last week's book, uh, or books, excuse me, Dark Ark After the Flood, uh, number four, and then The Man Who Effed Up Time, number three. And then we will dive back in to two weeks ago for the book that we forgot, Dead Day, number one. I think it's actually three weeks ago. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, which which in 2020 time is you know the equivalent of about a 18 months. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say a couple of hours. <laughs> no, come on, man, you ruined it. <laughs> mm. It's fine. It's both actually. There you go. Well, good thing time doesn't exist. God killers number three, war on terror. I guess it's the other way around. War on terror number three. Uh, this is written by Mark Sable with art by Mon House, colors by Hernan Cabrera, and letters by Thomas Maurer. All right, so let's talk about this. I, I have I talked about this book on the podcast. Yes, I think so. Yeah, is, issue one because I really dug it, and I think you you and Ronnie were not as in love with it as I was, uh, which is fine. I mean, you guys liked it, but I don't think you guys liked it as much as I liked it. And uh, so here we are, finally, six months later, talking about <laughs> issue number three. Uh, I uh, I really enjoy this book, Travis. I mm-hmm. I love I love the art. The art's really really good, and mm-hmm. I love I love how all this like Middle Eastern mythology gets intertwined with this modern day kind of like um, I don't know like the U.S. versus terrorist kind of plot. Uh, in fact, that's so weird. I have you ever seen the movie Monsters? I don't think so. All right, so there's there's two. There's Monsters and there's sequel. I can't remember the name of the sequel, uh, but I just watched it last night. Uh, Monsters is basically there's these like kaiju that either fall to earth or just happen to wake up after a certain period of time, uh, but they are aliens and they're kind of wrecking havoc in society. The sequel takes place in the Middle East, and so you have kind of a similar uh, plot to this where you have a a group of soldiers trying to take care of a a cell of terrorists in the meanwhile interacting with these mysterious, giant, magical alien creatures. And and that's kind of how this book goes along. I got to say, I don't remember what happened in issue two. Unlike the previous episode, I did not go back and reread issue two. Maybe I should have, but uh, I don't think it's necessary. I, I mean, uh, they issue two, they discover the Penanglin, right? Mm-hmm. And 
realize that that wasn't even why they got sent there. And then at the end, uh, a djinn pops up. And that's yes, that's issue two. Yes, a djinn that kind of looks like Satan. Uh, and, and, and there is a little bit of cross-pollination in mythology here uh, because the, the guy that's controlling this particular djinn has the, the Ring of Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I guess Solomon used the djinn to uh, build the temple in Jerusalem. I thought that was kind of a, a cool way to uh, tie in all the, all the Middle Eastern mythology. Uh, how did you feel about the book, Travis? Uh, I mean, I think I don't know quite how to feel. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess in broad terms, I, I don't necessarily respond to, uh, you know, religious material as positively as you do. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that's like a, a fascination of yours. Um, I'm, you know, I, I like to think that I have an open mind, although certainly something that's kind of a different slant is appreciated. You know, I, yeah. I don't want anything that's, uh, you know, feels like, uh, you know, indoctrination or catechism or anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just kind of as as a whole, it makes me a little uncomfortable that it all seems to be. I, I think directed towards Islam and it's so mm. tied to terrorists, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's so tied to ISIS. Yeah. And you know, they, they start out with the premise of we're going to kill everybody's gods for the sake of peace, but we haven't seen any other gods that would make it a little bit more democratic. Well, I mean, um, they are in the Middle East, so you're going to see Middle Eastern gods. I mean, they're being they're, – they're working at the behest of the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Muslim countries are, you know, at least for the last few decades, you know, where our military has been primarily focused. Right. Um, but, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I I admit that I'm kind of a little bit of a, you know, bleeding heart liberal in, in a lot of <laughs> scenarios, yes. you know, so like I'm going to own that bias, but it just makes me a little bit sensitive, you know, about how we're portraying Islam, you know, uh, so I, I don't necessarily know entirely where they're going with it. To your well, point. The jinn is, you know, they they admit that it's part of a larger tradition, you, you know, that that dates back to, you know, Judaism. So if they flesh that out more, um, you know, I like I I will be interested where it goes. Also, I I feel like I picked up on something that suggests maybe that. Like, what if ISIS were actually being manipulated by the jinn and, and et cetera, rather than, you know, them being in control, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't know what Mark Sable's political leanings are. Uh, I understand your point, but I do disagree because, for one, ISIS is not in control. 
right? Like this guy, this guy controls the jinn because he has the ring. So it's not like the 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 jinn is coming in to control them for whatever reason, right? There's somebody in control of the jinn, and that's that's part of the the whole. We'll use the word conspiracy of the book because at the end we have the Russians showing up trying to get a hold of the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know to go further, I mean I guess there is some I I, I could see why you think this may be kind of a, a thing against Islam, but nobody in this book is is good, right? So just because they say like Islam may not be the best idea ideology, uh, I'm pretty sure like every ideology gets crapped on equally in this book. Right, being an atheist gets crapped on. Being a Christian gets crapped on. Being a Muslim gets crapped on. Like there are no good people in this book. Now the the team that we're following has a mission, and so we assume that they're like the heroes we're supposed to follow. But like they're doing really crappy things, right? So they're not good either, and they can't even agree on like how to perform the mission. So I I think it's more of a, a commentary on just like humanity sucks. Period, as opposed to just like ISIS is bad and the U.S. is good. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I maybe it's too early to kind of comment on on what it means, especially since we don't really necessarily fully understand the mission that they're on. Mm-hmm. You know, like where they're getting all this intelligence from about you know monsters around the world, and you know what what are the the future targets, how it's going to unfold that. You know, that could maybe play out in a way that's not evident. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, there's been moments, certainly throughout the first two issues, where they kind of go out of their way to say, you know, oh, but ISIS, you know, doesn't speak for Islam and and it's a perversion and and they're, they're getting it wrong. But, you know, then there's other things where basically it's kind of like, oh, well, but, you know, certain things about this clearly are true. So how far does the truth go? You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to denounce it by any means, but it just like, it, it kind of gets my spidey sense, like buzzing a little bit. And, you know, I, it's it's not the most comfortable territory for me, if that makes sense. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I don't have any problem navigating those waters, so uh, I'm I'm totally comfortable talking about it. What uh what I do find most interesting is I, I don't know what Mark Sable's like inspiration for this is, but uh, you know you know I like to peruse conspiracy theories. Uh, just to, oh, yeah. to see what what the folk think about certain stuff, right? And uh, and one of one of my favorite conspiracy theories feels like it would be very much at home in this book. So there is this conspiracy theory that the only reason that we invaded uh, Iraq, for example, uh, was not because they had weapons of mass destruction, which we know that was a lie. Uh, it wasn't for the oil, even though that was a good plus. Uh, the reason that we invaded is because there was there was knowledge there, and and one of the things would be like stargates, for example, right? Like straight out of the movie, right? You know how in the movie they find the stargate under the under the uh, sand, mm-hmm. um, but basically that, right? Because there's a lot of like Sumerian and Mesopotamian mythology that 
has come to the present that a lot of people feel like some of that stuff could be real, right? In the way that it's expressed, like there were actual visitations and whatever. And mm-hmm. and so one of the theories is exactly that, that we went there to because there's there's secret knowledge in, in temples that are excavated. There's like stargates to other worlds. And and of course, you know, whether that's true or not, it, it ends up kind of coming off as possible because, you know, militaries are always trying to improve their arsenal, right? Because you want to be the most powerful military, then you can't lose and you can exert your power over the other people. And uh, and that's kind of what's going on here. You know, you have ISIS is in possession of this tool to to control the jinn. The U.S. wants it, so they send this team under some like odd pretext, and, and now they're they're in control of it. And here come the Russians. Now the Russians want the ring because, of course, they want to control the jinn, right? Like if you control the one jinn, that takes place the place of you know how many men, fifty men, a hundred men, and you can use it to go into battle. And and I think it's a really interesting concept, and I think it works pretty well here. The execution of the, on the book is is really quite good to me. I mean that you know kind of suggests to me you know I, I don't know that a lot of militaries out there are dabbling in you know occult weapons development you know that that sounds like uh you know and forgive the reference but you know like indiana jones and what the nazis were doing you know so like, yes however let me just guide you to cia.gov slash library slash reading room and uh, <laughs> and they do this research all the time. Yeah. Just, just because it's not like mainstream knowledge doesn't mean that it's not being done, right? Because they they want to find whatever advantage they can get, right? So they they research the craziest ideas just to see if there's anything in those ideas that they can use to get more power, right? Get get an advantage over the enemy. And in this book, it's the gym. I mean, I realized that, uh, you know, at least let's say the Pentagon basically seems to have an unlimited budget, so <laughs> they could spend money pursuing whatever crazy stuff they want to pursue. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, and I, <laughs> I will add, you know, because I think it's topical that, you know, it is interesting, the question of, but where is all this stuff coming from, you know? And specifically, they have actionable intelligence about, you know, a jinn in the Philippines, you know? Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And assumedly, they have a lot more uh, that, you know, we, we haven't heard about yet. Yes. Um, so where is all that stuff coming from and how is it uh deemed credible enough to you know send a team out to pretty hostile areas like this hmm. um you know like my my totally spontaneous you know hot take on it is they've got some thing captured or something that's feeding them info you know right 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 but you know maybe it's it's something else entirely sure. um and i also think uh you know i, I don't know if it's if it's completely topical to this but maybe something we discussed earlier um 
specifically, I, I think there was a line towards the end where somebody's saying, you know, we, we ha- we're not really seeing any gods here. You know, we're, we're just seeing monsters. Ah, uh, yes. So I don't know if that maybe plays into kind of what you were maybe talking about with what if, you know, what if they're aliens or something else that we don't understand. Um, so just just throwing it out there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Very good. Very good. Let's uh, let's rate it up then, man. OK, uh, I'll go a three point five out of five. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a 3.7926 uh, as my score. Precise. Very, Very precise. precise. Yes, that was my exact scoring. And uh, I guess that means we can go to the next book, and that is Dark Ark After the Flood, number four. Uh, this is written by Cullen Bunn with art by Jesus Hervas. We have colors by Wancho and letters by Dave Sharp. Dave Sharp. I like that Wancho has an exclamation point at the end of his name. That's uh, that's good. Yeah. I'm going to change my name to have one as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, you want to talk a little bit about this one? Yeah. Um, I would start I, – I, I feel like it, you know we need to start with the idea that it, you know on the last page it says to be concluded, right? Mm, yes. So your read is that the, the next issue is the final one? Or do you think that's like chapter two is to be concluded? Yeah, I think it's just chapter two. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, when this was pitched, it was kind of like, let me just throw off this off the wall idea. And, and Aftershock loved it and it's done well. And Cullen's had fun writing it. So as long as people buy it, they're going to continue doing it. So, yes, it's it's the final issue. But I would say final issue of After the Flood, because, again, where's Noah's Ark? Right, it keeps being referenced, but we haven't seen mm. it yet, and it's been referenced since the first book. Right, so I would assume that at some point we will see that, or we will see adventures of some of the characters in the story beyond this island that they're on right now. Right, because right now there there is like a division going on between like who we care to follow and who we don't. Right, uh, because all the all the people that are on the island, like, none of them really matter, except the one guy, which we can talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, they can just disappear and nobody cares. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, same with the monsters, really. Aside from Kroll, like, do we care about any of the monsters? Kroll and Baby Kroll, and that's about it. Uh, I mean, that is a good question. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it gets to kind of the the fundamental construction of the whole story, you know, which, you know, I I feel has been kind of deepened and more obscured with, you know, this newest, you know, with with After the Flood, Mm. which is kind of like, you know, who, whose plans are we seeing playing out, you know, Um, like, uh, and I, I know I, I feel like this was referenced pretty early in in the very first dark art discussions. You know, like who told Shrey to put all these monsters on an arc, and you know for what purpose? You mm-hmm. know, um, and you know, is is that same actor behind all of the kind of machinations that we're seeing 
specifically with Cali, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, we can get into that if you want to, because I, I feel like they're kind of tipping a hand to that. That is, is a major part of whatever plans have maybe been afoot the whole time. You know, the, the Cali storyline, et cetera, was at work long before the flood started decades before. Right. You know, so is the flood and the two arcs just an extension of whatever that plan or plans is? Well, yes, because you would assume if some deity hatched this plan, right? Uh, we Again, we don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, looking at the image in here, it looks like some sort of devil figure, right? He's got the, the horns and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so we can assume that. I think by extension, we can assume that if if it, this is some kind of deity, uh, or at least like nearly immortal or immortal being of some sort, uh, it has plenty of time to like devise a plan that goes for generations, right? Because I mean, it's got all the time in the world. Why bother hatching up a quick plan, right? Why would it just be about this flood or saving these people or saving a particular monster, right? That's not it at all. Uh, it's about like something in the future, right? Same thing with with Shrey. Like Shrey was involved in this plan, not because of Shrey. Uh, I think it's becoming evident, at least to me, that he he was involved because of, of him finding Kali, and and Kali is the important person in the story, not Shrey. Yes. Right. So yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think there is a, a, a long-standing plan, and you know we can't know what that is because we're not Cullen Bun. Uh, or, you know, God, I guess, I guess Cullen's the God of, uh, of this universe. Yes. I, that, uh, you know, that would be a good twist if in issue five Cullen Bunn shows up at the end. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's precedent for that, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a Neil Gaiman-y type, uh, yes, yes. or, uh, Grant Morrison, Grant maybe Morrison. more, more to point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I, I wouldn't be mad. If Colin shows up on one of these issues, <laughs> uh, as, long, um, as long as it's not a dream or he he's writing this story in his house, and that's the final panel. Only if he's got a tiki drink. Ah, uh, yes, there you go. Well, we do know he likes his tiki drinks. Yes. Uh, um, I mean, so like, I I don't know. I feel like I am very much grappling with, uh, you know, what what the plans are that we're supposed to see because obviously in this issue, you know, I feel like they, they're pointing to the idea that, you know, Callie kind of seems to be some kind of chosen one of God or something, you know, like she's got powers or, or, you know, she's, you know, somehow she's an instrument of God. Right. And it seems like they're setting up, some kind of scenario where they're trying to make her break bad or something, you know, like Baldy is going to kill her sister for some reason. Uh -huh. And all indications are that he's, you know, working for the, the devil. Um, but well, we, we've seen him before. Yes. He, yeah. He, like he, he was one of the people that, that was with Shrey when he found Callie. Yeah, until uh, you know he got killed or whatever and stuffed in a box and <laughs> and 
stored underwater for like a decade or two and, yes. and then popped up at this island. So like that, again, that's a piece that's been in the works for a long time, but trying to track these plans, I, I don't, it makes me think of, um, do you watch Rick and Morty? No, but I'm, I'm aware of Rick and Morty. Okay. Well, like Rick and Morty, uh, in the, I feel like it was the newest season. They were were kind of taking a piss on uh, heist movies, you know, mm-hmm. and this idea of kind of like twist over twists, you know, that that like it's you know our heroes or whatever, you know, they knew about a double cross and they were prepared. So, like that just makes me, I guess maybe cautious about the idea that whatever this plan is that revolves around Kaylee, you know, there's another actor out there who who knows that's happening and is planning around that. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep, yep, I know. I know. And you know, I, I still can't help but like wonder about like the etymology of the name, right? Because Kali is an Indian uh, Hindu goddess. And mm. she is like the goddess that destroys evil forces. Mm. So, so I am curious if that's kind of the the plot twist at some point, you know, where she goes ahead and kills all the monsters. It could be, uh, but you know how that's you know set into motion by her, you know, her sister uh, being murdered. Uh, you know, unless you know that is, you know god who who put the other animals on the other arc i I don't know uh i if 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 that was the plan of the person who who made and set into motion the like noah's arc Mm -hmm. i don't know that you need to put all the monsters onto a separate arc if if you're just going to kill them at the end anyway well that that's not the plan well maybe it is maybe maybe the I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of cosmic rule we're not aware of. Maybe the the being that gave Shrey his his mission is the same one that gave Noah his mission. You know, I remember when when we discussed the the first series. Remember when the angels show up and we're like, man, these angels are like total douchebags, right? What mm-hmm. if what if God is a total douchebag, right? And he's just playing this this giant game between these two forces, right? Just to entertain himself. Maybe it's That's... more maybe it's more fun to have the second arc where the monsters go and become saved than just to drown them in the ocean. Or I don't know, may, maybe there's a monster island out there somewhere, and uh, you know Noah's Ark goes, you know, to the mainlands, and they they make it through. I don't know, yeah, like maybe. obvious, but you know you. This could be in part a story of, you know, what happened to all the mythical monsters, you know, if if they should all get wiped out for some reason, you know, but it could go the the opposite way as well. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh very good. The uh let's talk about the art real quick. I mm-hmm. there's there's bits of this where I really like it and there's bits of it where I really don't like it. Um and from what I can tell it's the same artist throughout. Uh, I don't know if it, it, some of the sections it seems like it's um, like the the inks are rendered really oddly. Maybe I I don't know what it was. Uh, what what page am I looking at right now? This is page six. 
uh, when you have a flashback scene to Shrey looking at that flower, like I love that top panel with her sitting there and look staring at the flower. But then like the bottom three panels just look really unfinished. And and it seems to be like the the way that the panels are being inked and not so much the art. Because uh, there's some other pages where like I think the art looks really good. Was it penciled inked by the same person? Yes. Mm. Yep. I uh, I sorry I don't have it pulled up on my iPad, but um, I you know I I was maybe going to mention the art because obviously this is the first issue that's not been done by Juan Doe, right? Right. So that's going to be a, a change, no matter what, you yep. know. And I feel like the monsters we see in this issue, besides Cruel, like you know, I don't know that we've seen any of them before. Um, I mean, we've seen one of them. He he's been in Guardians of the Galaxy for uh, decades. Oh, Groot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, good call. Yes. I thought that was Treebeard. I I don't know. I went to I went that way. Sorry. <laughs> yep. That uh, that whole sequence with uh, when the when these monsters show up has one of my favorite panels of the whole issue. Uh, on page 14, I know you don't have it in front of you, but on page 14, Cruel like attacks Groot and and Baby Cruel's right behind them, and you see Cruel like punching out that giant frog monster thing, and then Baby Cruel like <laughs> goes to bite that blue demon lady, the the Medusa lady. He bites her in the arm, and she's just like she's got this face like, is this supposed to hurt? Uh, I just love that page. Just look it up after, when you get a chance. No, I remember that actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that panel. It's awesome. Yeah, it's cute, man. I like the uh, the manicures, right? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, all right, what else? Uh, any thoughts on uh, this this garden of flowers that apparently magically appears out of nowhere? I mean, I think that's just meant to be some kind of uh, hat tip towards you know, wh- whatever is Callie's deal, you yeah. know? And, you know, I don't know. My, my take is that, uh, you know, she's some, she's got powers, you know, or, or something, you know, I, I don't know what the, yeah, she's a what, the, what the good of trying to turn her bad would be if, if all of her powers are directly tied to, you know, God and, and you can just turn the faucet off if stuff's going bad. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe she is a geomancer, to your point. <laughs> yep, and uh, I'm sure we'll have something, some some big reveal uh, at some point next issue because there is a, there's a comet that flies over the island as uh, at the end. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's rate it up, man. I'm going to give this four baby Groots out of five. Yeah, you know, I think I might even go a little higher you know uh, yeah. let's let's say 4.25 out of 5 nice. uh i mean you know that there could be so many things going on and and i still have so little idea how it's all going to play out you know i i think that's a good thing yeah so assuming there's a, a landing that will be stuck uh you know i i think he's doing a good job of spinning the yarn I agree. That Cullen Bun, he knows how to write comics. He does. He does. 
All right, that leads us to the man who effed up time, number three. I, you know, I, I like the title of this book better when it was just like a bunch of symbols, and now it's just like E F F E D. Oh uh, no. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, whatever. But I thought it was cooler when it was just symbols. Uh, this is written by John Lehman. We have art by Carl Mustert. Colors by D. Cuniff and letters by John Lehman. Well, look at that. I wow. Catch that on the first go around. Uh, yeah, The Man Who Has Up Time. Uh, this is, uh, it's a fun book, man. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's kooky and wacky like uh, like John Lehman. It, uh, it obviously draws some inspiration from Doctor Who and it's... Uh, it's craziness and it's mm, liberties with time travel, but mm-hmm. uh, but I enjoy it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot, and even though you have just like all this wacky stuff popping up all the time, it's very easy to follow. And uh, like even when you, <laughs> I love that whole sequence, the the Groundhog Day sequence, basically, where like he gets killed by the Neanderthal guy and the mammoth, and the 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 time police bring him back to life. And like he he tries to escape, and he's like, "Up, oh, nap, no, I'm doing this wrong." So he just like kills him. He gets himself killed again. Uh, so they they restart it back to to the point before he got caught. Uh, I like the whole bit as quite a bit. Um, give me some thoughts. Uh, I mean, I you know your your enthusiasm is infectious. Uh, oh my. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know me, dude. I. I feel like I think about time travel stories way too hard. And, you know, we, we touched on that a little bit with the last Artemis issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I like a wacky story as much as anybody else, you know, uh, layman does outer dark, right? Yes. I, I mean, I love outer dark. Um, I, I guess I just, I, you know, Maybe I, I just am getting tripped up in the rules, you know, and uh, how it's all supposed to work. Because I I come from kind of the the Bill and Ted school <laughs> of time travel, uh-huh. where it's it's already happens, yeah. you know, any like whatever whatever does happen has happened. Uh, so you know the the device of that the guy it goes as far as the guy dying and then they come back and save him and bring him back. I'm like, ah, how's, how's that work? You know, I, I get that, that maybe that's not the point, but then you also have dude, like future dude running around and, you know, causing all this mischief. Mm-hmm. If that is the same guy and, you know, if so, how, why is he doing that? And does that mean that, you know, were to understand that after he resolves all this stuff, that he then still has to go as far as causing all the problems to happen in the first place. You know, like, so I, I, I get what you mean, but none of that goes against this stuff already having happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's possible. Although the dying and, and coming back like that, that doesn't truck with, uh, the Bill and Ted, uh, time travel, theory as far as i can imagine it <laughs> well i mean bill and ted the the most scientific and philosophical movie uh of of the past uh century and a half uh yeah don't <laughs> don't for put... time travel logic yes 
I mean, maybe it's one of the first time travel things that you watched. And so to you, it's the one that is the most sensical. Um, I mean, I don't know. I My thing is a little bit different. Uh, the way that I would see it is like if you were to be, to be able to time travel, uh, you're not actually traveling through time. You're traveling through like alternate dimensions that branch okay. that branch at the specific point where you time travel. Okay, so like when you when you time travel, you cease to exist right now, right? So in this world that you're in right now, you don't exist anymore. You died, right? You disappeared. Uh, but now you exist in this different world. Uh, even if there's multiples of you, you can still have the multiples of you. Um, or maybe when you get to that point, like that, the version of you there dies, and you're the you're the new version of you in that dimension, right? Um, you just like take over that spot. Um, so to me, like you can do pretty much anything, as long as you realize that every time you time travel, you're basically just killing yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and maybe there's a little bit of that here because, you know, he did have future self show up in a previous issue and like slap him around a little bit. He shows up at the end of this issue. We assume it's a future self uh, shows up and he's like, you're messing things up. So there must be like an ultimate thing that happens in the future that is really the thing that needs to be fixed. And all of that stems from this particular version of himself having committed like one wrong thing right for all we know like the future self is the one that saved lincoln yeah i think that's probably safe to assume yeah but yes. why did he do that but why did he do that we'll find that at some point i guess i don't think mm-hmm. i don't think we've had enough in the in the three issues of this book to get any idea of why anything's happening in this book uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's kind of like the John Lehman thing. You know what I mean? You're just enjoying the ride. And at some point, you'll get some answers. But just like, let's have fun along the way. Right? Don't, sure. Don't, don't think too hard about it. Right? It's a comic book. Um, and, and I like that about this book. You know, I love like hardcore time travel stories. But, uh, but the whimsical ones are fun too, man. And, and this one hits those chords pretty well. Because, uh, I mean, some of the stuff is just so ridiculous, right? Like, the the Neanderthal guy and the, the mammoth, to me, was just ridiculous. The Emperor Abraham Lincoln, right? Abra- Emperor Lincoln number six, uh, whatever it was. Um, like, it's just, it's all nonsense, right? The cowboys riding the dodo birds. It's nonsense. Uh, but uh, but it's fun. It's fun. And I think it, it works well with the book. Uh, maybe... Maybe the reason Future Self is trying to do these things in a certain order is so that he can go back in time to the time when they invented the time machine before he ruined his chances of marrying that girl. Remember, because they, they got drunk that night and he hooked up with some girl and his, his fiance found out? Well, he didn't hook up with the girl. His Future Self did. Ah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. The same Future Self who killed his boss. That's right. At the end of the issue. Yep. Yep, you're right. You're right. So, like, something is going on with that guy that, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, like, I I get that's the point. We're not supposed to know why he's doing it right now. So, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I am curious about 
you know, the, the device of the future cops or the time cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and the taser gloves. Well, you know, specifically, uh, why they're leaving it all up to this guy to fix, you know, even after he's died and failed, they, it's, I, I don't know if that speaks to the idea that they already know that he's going to fix it. So they, he has to be the one to fix it. Right. And see, and that goes to your idea where if it's already happened, you can't change it. Like, yeah, this, this is this happening is exactly what was always supposed to happen. Yeah. So, like, again, if it's the Bill and Ted approach and, you know, this guy through the course of all this adventure understands that when he fixes everything, he's then got to break it to be fixed because it already happened. Uh, you know, that that trucks with my understanding of the time travel paradox. Yes. But I, you know, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. Also, and, yes, they they mentioned a wedding once or twice yes. in this issue, right? Yep. Uh, it's Abe the Sixth's wedding or whatever. Yes. Do you think he's marrying the dude's ex-fiance? Oh, there you go. Yeah, so it, in this alternate reality, that's... Yeah, I, I could see that. I like it. And maybe it turns out to be his nemesis, you know, but in this reality, he, he's he's known as Abe Lincoln the Sixth or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, could be. Yeah, could Just be. Just throwing that out there, you know, crazy theory style. No, I like it. I like crazy theories for crazy books. Uh, and speaking of, the cover for number four is crazy. Oh, shit. Got, like, ant people and... I don't know. Bug, bug head people. Oh, like mutants? Yeah. Uh, yep. Ooh, okay. Except I think they're mass. I don't think they're actual. Well, I don't know. Some of these look like they may not be mass. Anyways, let's uh, let's rate it up, man. What you got? Uh, I'll go four out of five on this one. Yeah, I think I'll go four out of five too. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that leaves us with the final book. Uh, spoiler alert! My favorite book of the night. Uh, and that is Dead Day, number one, uh, Ryan Parrott, Evgeny Bornyakov. You know, Travis, I love zombie stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I guess these are not zombies. But, I mean, they're kind of like zombies. Uh, even though I love, like, every time the little girl's like, ooh, a zombie's coming tonight, and the parents are always like, uh, they're not zombies. Um, I love I love zombie stories, and it's so hard to find zombie stories that, like, try to do something different and new with the genre right because there's just so much zombie stuff and and to me this story does something new with with the zombie genre uh because in some ways like this is like a a literal version of uh the day of the dead uh the the Mm -hmm. mexican day of the dead right where they feel like the dead come back to life uh in some ways this is like closer to like the origin of Halloween, right? Because that's kind of what would happen in Halloween. Halloween's a day where like the spirits come to Earth, and and the reason you wear a mask is so that you know they don't harm you because they think you're one of them. Um, and so I I really like that whole different slant on it, and uh, and I really enjoy the book, man. I think the art's great, the story's great, the characters are really awesome, and 
you know, even though this world seems very different from ours, uh, it doesn't really take a lot of introduction because the only thing we sh can assume that is different is this this day of the dead where the dead come back to life. Um, but the implications of that really change a lot within society, and they hint at a couple things in here, uh, like the there's a couple cults, for example, right? The what do they call them? The revivalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the way that people interact leading up to this day of the dead, I think uh, I thought was pretty cool. So. Yeah, I really dug this a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a great issue one um, because to your point, I, you know, they, they are kind of introducing this big novel premise, right? Yeah. Uh, but in my opinion, it's not bogged down really at all by exposition. Um, and, you know, they, they accomplish a lot, in my opinion, via the back matter at the ends mm. that, that tells you so much, I think about how dead day works, you know, and they're talking about, you know, the, you know, the like dead information act or something, yeah. um, you know, and like, like tips for, you know, dead day. And I, I thought that was really well done as far as getting you basic information along with kind of breadcrumbs that they they throw out throughout the issue so that you understand what's happening without having to slog through a, you know, a really handholdy thing at the beginning that doesn't feel natural. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, you know, God, I love back matter. I, I wish, I mean, not, not every story requires back matter. So, you know, it's, this is definitely one that you do want that. Right. Uh, but the way that it's done is like really concise because it's not like a prose piece by Ryan, right? Where he like explains how the whole thing works. It's just like flyers from the the Bureau of Post Life Affairs, basically, um, that gives you like all the information you need. And you know, you you can take some of the stuff that uh, that's discussed in these flyers and like reread the story and see like maybe. We, this character is a character that we should stay away from, right? Maybe they're not as likable as it seems, right? Like, for example, the neighbor across the street that <laughs> that beheads the goat on the front yard uh, and then uses the uh, the blood on the on the doorframe. Uh, you know, he he's breaking like three rules on one of these flyers. So, uh, yeah, I I agree. I like that quite a bit. I like that quite a bit. I wonder if it would have been. No, I think it would not have been better. I just answered my own question. I was gonna say, what if what if some of these flyers were like interspersed either at the beginning or like interspersed throughout the story? You know, like when they have that one scene where the uh, the newscasters show up, like that could have been a cool place to just like have one of these flyers where you can get some of the information as you're reading the story instead of waiting till the end. Yeah, I mean that maybe would have made it more visible because you know maybe not everybody reads the back matter or even notices it. Yep. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I like the way they did it in part because, uh, I think we can assume that they know the deal, you know, even the, even the kids seem to be familiar enough with how it works or, or they're told enough that they don't need the flyer per se. Uh huh. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, well done and you're not, 
taken out of the story at all. Um, and you know, it, it represents kind of a bonus size issue, uh, that you might not otherwise get if it was incorporated into the story. Yep. Did you, uh, did you ever watch the leftovers? Uh, I haven't watched it. No. Okay. So, I mean, the, the, the plot is very different, but I get like leftover vibes a little bit. Uh, maybe it's, it's a little bit to do with the, the cult, the revivalists, because uh, there is a cult that plays a big part of the the show, The Leftovers. Uh, basically, in The Leftovers, there's like a rapture where just mm-hmm. like people just disappear, right? Like you're driving down the street and you're talking to, let's say you're talking to your wife, and all of a sudden, like you're talking, but your wife's not there anymore. Uh, and this happened to like a ton of people, so of course, like it impacted the way people view life and death quite a bit. Um, and this cult springs up as a result. Um, so I, I got some vibes from that. And I know I know Ryan's done some TV work. I don't know if he worked on Leftovers, but uh, I thought that was interesting. You should check that show out, man. It's really good. I've heard it's great. <laughs> it's slow, but it's good. I mean, Regina King's in it, right? Uh, yes. Sister Knight? Sister Knight. Yeah, so. Yeah, that so, show's yeah. really good. Watchmen. It's by the same dude. Yes. Lindelof, right? Yes, yes. Damon Lindelof, who also did Lost. Eh, you lost me. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, yes. He's not going to do uh, season two, though. He said he'd let somebody else do season two of uh, Watchmen. Mm, I, I didn't realize there was going to be a season two. Yeah, they're talking about it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll uh, see. Yeah. Uh, so can we, can we talk about some of the... I feel like there's a lot of intrigue in this first issue that you know I, I find pretty compelling and I thought was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Like specifically, the mom? I think that, yeah, the story is all about this mom and she's made a promise to somebody to go kill someone. Right. Yes. So I, obviously the question is who are they off to kill and who is she meeting? Cause the dude she's meeting is dead, right? Yes. So the way that I understood it is that was her ex-fiance. Yes. Right? And that you see in that one flashback scene, which you, you don't know it's a flashback. I don't think they say anything about it being a flashback. But then when you see that scene at the end, you assume that that's what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that. That's, that's a little weird, right? Because the husband obviously knows what's going on. So, you know, every year when when Day of the Dead shit comes up, he lets his wife go hang out with her dead ex-fiance to try to go kill somebody. Like, that seems a little sketchy. I mean, it's super sketchy, dude. And <laughs> also, like, not only is she taking off and putting herself in danger and leaving her family behind, but she spends money she can't afford to spend to buy ammo to make it happen. Yes. Uh, It's like... There's something weird going on with her motivations there, you know, like to to make a promise that goes beyond till death to us part, for example, you know, is is weird. And, you know, I'm not sure who they're off to kill, but whoever it is hasn't come back the last few times. Right. So, okay, so are we assuming that it's they're trying to kill someone that's already dead? That was my I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of how I looked at it. You know, maybe you know, he's on a motorcycle, so 
maybe there was a drunk driver that hit her fiance. They he died, the drunk driver died, and like when when he comes back, they go on this quest to find the drunk driver to 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 re-kill him. I mean, can you kill these things that are already dead? Wouldn't they just keep coming back? Yeah, I mean it must be somebody who's alive now that you mention it. And I don't know if that means the promise was made after her fiance died. You know, like the fiance came back and was like, Will you help me kill somebody next dead day? And she made a promise. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that because there, there's been several dead days, right? They said that there's been four and they don't happen every year, but they, they happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, if there's four, I mean, how old would you say the little girl is? She can't be by like five or six, right? Yeah, she's young. Yeah, so I mean, her fian- and and then the other kid has got to be ten, twelve. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a while. It couldn't be like the first dead day, unless every time this happens, like they go on this quest to kill this person, whoever it is. Yeah, I don't know. That that whole thing's really sketch. Yeah, I mean, can I also say I think that uh, the mom seems to be extra turbo against the revivalists yes. right yes like more so much so that i'm assuming there is there, there's some backstory there For sure. and maybe that ties into her kind of vengeance promise mm-hmm. um you know i so I, i'm gonna say maybe on that uh and also on the the topic of the revivalists since they mentioned this is such a recent phenomenon, the dead coming back, I wonder if if they have something to do with that. Hmm. You know, like maybe it's a causal thing rather than something that grew up in response to this phenomena. Because I, I don't know. I feel like there was some moment where they were like, why is this happening? You know, it, it wasn't always like this. Yeah, yeah, and the the only mention of that is um like they never it's not every year, they don't know when it is, but like the revivalists always know. Like they they look at the stars and can they can predict it. Mhm. Unless they're causing it to happen. True. That's true. Um why would they cause it to happen though? I, I don't know. There's there's a whole lot going on there. Um can we So he, here's the question that I had. Mm-hmm. That I was unsure. So the the last scene, you have uh, the I, I assume the army guys. Maybe they're just police. Uh, no, they're army guys. They're they're waiting for this like horde of undead to come up, and like a lot of them are calling them by name or whatever. Aren't we to assume that like military people would kill people overseas, for example, right in, in, during war? So how are these dead people just like showing up where these guys are at? My my guess in that scene was that they were at a jail and that those uh, are former inmates that died in the jail or maybe were imprisoned in the jail. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're, yeah. if you look at that compound, I, I could see that being a jail behind those dudes in the, you know, riot gear or whatever. Yep. Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, anything else in this book? Hmm. I feel like we did a pretty good job. 
Oh, okay. Good. Last last thought yep. is uh I got the vibe that they are setting something up as far as uh the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes. That they they spend enough time talking about falling from the Golden Gate Bridge that I'm assuming that her fiance falls or gets thrown or jumps from the bridge. Yes. You on board with that theory? I'm on board with that. Cool. I am on board with that. Uh, all right, let's rate it up. Guess what my score is? Five out of five. I'm right there with you, man. All right. We did it. Uh, cool. I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Aftershock Central Podcast. Uh, thank you, Travis. Always fun chatting with you. My, the pleasure is mine, my friends. Uh, that's so sweet of you. You can uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Great Magnet at Geekvine at AfterShockPod. Thank you for listening. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Maybe next week. Maybe the weekend. Read dangerously.